The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. We're going to survey some different things, but our starting point today will be Deuteronomy, chapter 18. If you have a Bible or Bible app, or there are some Bibles in the back. If you need a Bible, grab one of those. Those are for you to keep if you'd like one. This Advent season, we are considering the offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Let's pray for God's help, and then Amy's going to read our passage from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Spirit of God, we ask you to fill us as you command us to be continually filled with the Spirit. Fill us even now. Would you open the eyes of our hearts? to behold our Savior more and more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The word of the Lord. Uh, Let me orient us briefly to what we're hoping to accomplish here. Martin Luther once said, The gospel, the good news of Jesus, cannot be beaten into our ears enough or too much. The gospel cannot be beaten into our ears enough or too much. He said, there is no one who takes hold of it perfectly or believes it with all his heart. So frail a thing is our flesh and disobedient to the Spirit. Can you relate to that? I sure can. My flesh is frail. My heart grows cold. I don't take hold of this gospel perfectly or believe it enough. For a class this week, I had to read a couple of small books about the gospel. I read those, and there was nothing new to me in those books. It was entirely Review nothing I learned that was new, and yet I was profoundly encouraged. My my heart was renewed, my soul revitalized as I read about the gospel once again because 
I cannot have this good news beaten into my ears enough. And neither can you. Neither can you, friends. I think I can say confidently about you that you do not take hold of this gospel perfectly either. I think I can say it confidently that you too find it difficult to believe it with all of your heart all the time. I think I can say confidently that you too need to have this good news beaten into your ears and your heart. And so for us, along comes this season of Advent. Along comes Advent to help us, to help us beat this good news into our ears again. That's, that's ultimately why we want to think about Christ as prophet, priest, and king, that we would see Jesus more clearly, that we would see, friends, who he is and what he's done for us, that we would be filled with awe and wonder this Christmas, this Advent season, as we beat good news into our ears. That's the purpose of this little series. So today we consider Christ as prophet. And my, my structure goes like this. What, how, and why, if that helps you to orient you. What, and then how, and then why. First, what? What? What are these offices? What are we talking about? What are these offices, including prophet? Well, these, these offices of Christ, they, they help us sharpen our Christology, our, our doctrine of Christ, our understanding of Jesus. That the one born at Christmas is one person with two natures fulfilling three offices. I think that might be helpful for us to take away from this. One, two, three. One person, person born 2,000 years ago, with two natures, fully God and fully man, two natures that are never confused, combined, distorted, fully God and fully man, the miracle of Christmas one person, two natures, and so fulfilling three offices for you and me right now. Prophet, priest, and king. Now, in the Old Testament, these offices were held by separate individuals. There are a couple of kind of exceptions pointing to Jesus, but basically, they were held by separate individuals. But through the incarnation, through the enfleshment of God the Son, these offices are fulfilled for your great benefit. These offices are like windows. Windows you can look through to behold more and more of the glory of Jesus Christ incarnate right now. And so we begin with this office of prophet as described in the passage Amy just read to us. This book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell discourse. Moses is about to pass from the scene as the people head into the promised land. So he says in verse 15, look again at verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. A prophet, he says, like me, Moses speaking, from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then he recounts, 
He recounts how at Sinai, God's appearance was so awesome, so overwhelming, so terrifying. The people said, uh, Moses, could you talk to God for us and then tell us what he says? And God says, that's a good idea. And that essentially defines the job description of a prophet. You see it in verse 18. Look at verse 18. God says, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That is basically a prophet's job description. We could say more about it, but verse 18 is the prophet's basic job description. Receive God's words, then speak God's words. Receive revelation, then deliver revelation. With one particular prophet anticipated in verse 15. Keep that in mind. Well, a long line of prophets ensues for Israel until, until our Old Testament ends with the expectation of the prophet Elijah coming again. And then there is silence for roughly four centuries, roughly 400 years or so. No prophets on the scene until one John the Baptist shows up. Camel skin wearing, locust eating John the Baptist, reviving, as it were, the office of prophet, coming in the manner and mode of Elijah. But John, John pointed to another to come. John said, one coming after me, is so much greater than me, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And that brings us to Christmas and the how. Secondly, how does Christ fulfill this office of prophet? How does Christ fulfill this particular office? Well, Jesus launches his public ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus unrolls it to a particular place in Isaiah and reads autobiographically, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. Hear that? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim, there it is again, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim, 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 like a prophet. In fact, as he is then rejected at Nazareth, do you call what Jesus said? He said, truly I say to you, no prophet no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So Jesus thought of himself in this category of prophet. In fact, people in his ministry recognized Jesus as the prophet from Deuteronomy 18. When he multiplies a few loaves of bread and fish and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, the people say, this is the prophet. 
referencing Deuteronomy 18. Furthermore, when Jesus rose from the grave, the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3 quotes that passage, Deuteronomy 18, that Amy read to us. Peter quotes that passage and says, it's about Jesus. So Jesus is that promised prophet we just read about. The ultimate fulfillment, you might say, the ultimate fulfillment of this office. But this is where we need to be a little bit careful. We need to realize that Jesus is that prophet and much, much more than a prophet. Recall a prophet's basic job description. Receive revelation, deliver revelation. But Jesus doesn't quite do that. He doesn't just receive revelation. Jesus provides revelation. He is the revelation. Jesus is not just a messenger. He's the message. In fact, those Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled by him. So catch this. Here's, here's the point. Jesus is our prophet who reveals God for us and speaks God's word to us. This is how we want to understand this window at Advent. Jesus, as your prophet, reveals God for you and speaks God's word to you. Let me, let me explain both of those. Jesus reveals God because, as the Apostle John says, he, he actually exegetes the Father. He explains the Father. Jesus unpacks God the Father for you. The Apostle Paul said he is the image of the invisible God. Ever think, like, I wish I could just see God. Well, look to Jesus. He's the image, the very image of the invisible God as the God-man born at Christmas. Jesus himself said to his disciple Philip, these shocking words, if you've seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. Only the one born at Christmas can say that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's Christ as your prophet. The one born at Christmas, one person, two natures, reveals God for you. So, when you see Jesus hanging out with sinners, in his day, tax collectors, maybe prostitutes, maybe thieves, being drawn to him, encountering in Christ a love they had never known before, right there you're seeing God himself, full of grace towards sinners like us as revealed by your prophet. When you see Jesus full of compassion, full of pity and compassion for the hurting and the helpless, having mercy on the suffering, the sick, the demonized, right there you're seeing God himself in his mercy, in his compassion toward you in your suffering and where you're hurting as revealed by your prophet. And when you see Jesus flipping over the tables of the money changers in the temple, in holy rage, fashioning a whip and driving the money changers out of the temple because they were hindering 
non-Jewish people from worshiping God, you're also seeing God in his justice, God in his righteousness, as revealed by your prophet. Jesus reveals God for us as the God-man, fully God, fully man. And as prophet, and as prophet, he speaks God's word to us as the God-man. Ever notice a number of times in the Gospels we read, quote, the crowds were astonished, for he was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. They listen to this. this is, there is something unique about this guy especially as validated by his miracles. He has authority as he teaches. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes our Old Testament saying, you've heard that it was said. Then he corrects their faulty applications with, but I say to you. That's a pretty radical thing. Human prophets said, thus saith the Lord. Jesus says, I say to you as the God-man, your prophet, come in the flesh. Recently, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding for the daughter of a friend of mine. My friend does not believe in Jesus, but his daughter came to faith in Christ in high school, and I've known her for many years. My daughter went to middle school with her, and so she asked me to do her wedding. And at weddings, you see the power of words in a way. As I walked this couple through their vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part, and they each repeated those vows phrase by phrase, by their words, they, in effect, sort of became a married couple through those vows. And then I pronounced afterwards, by the authority vested in me, by the Lord Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you with words, husband and wife. There are times like that when our words kind of bring something to pass or sort of bring something into being. But Jesus did that all the time as prophet. He pronounces to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven. I can't do that. You can't do that. But he does. Your sins are forgiven. And they are. Or don't you love when a Gentile military commander comes and says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says the word. The guy's healed. He speaks and it happens as the God-man. His words have power and authority. Friends, divine power divine authority. He is the prophet, and much, much more than merely a prophet is what I'm saying. One person, two natures. He doesn't just receive revelation. He is that revelation for you. He doesn't just speak for God. He speaks as God himself. That's the miracle of Christmas. That's Christ as your prophet. He reveals God, and he speaks God's word. So third, why does that matter? 
a lot of interesting information. <laughs> Again, we're trying to sharpen our Christology, our doctrine of Christ, and beat good news into our heads. So why does this matter? Well, there's probably a lot we could say here, but one of the most important things in your life, if not maybe the most important thing, is your source of authority, ultimate authority. How you know things with, with certainty. How you can be sure of what's real and true in the world and your own life. For some people, ultimate authority is, is tradition. You know, it's what my parents taught me, or it's my culture, it's my background. And so tradition determines what's true for me. For others, it's experience. Ultimate authority for others can be experience. And I'm all for genuine experience. But experiences vary. Experiences are very much open to interpretation. So experience is not a very good foundation for ultimate authority. But for most people today in the Western world, for most people today, our authority is our own human reason, our own human intellect. You decide what's true. You determine what's true. If it's reasonable to you, good. You have your truth, I have my truth. You hear that a lot today. But those are the options for knowing what is ultimately true and real in this world but where does that leave you? Where do those three options at least leave you? They really leave you with no absolute truth. They really leave you with truth being merely relative. And if we're honest, we're left in despair. We think about it. Because that means life has no ultimate meaning. And God cannot be known with any certainty. We're left in despair. I was thinking about how um, Shane McGowan died this week. He was the front man of the Irish band, the Pogues. And their biggest hit was a song called Fairy Tale of New York. It's an interesting song, and McGowan was a brilliant lyricist. It begins with a singer in kind of a drunken stupor. He's in the drunk tank, he says. And then this couple, couple fights with each other and calls each other names. And she says, he took all her dreams away. And the refrain is, and the bells were ringing out for Christmas Day. One writer says the song is a drunken hymn for people with broken dreams and abandoned hopes. The New York Times said it's a song about misery and despair. But here's the interesting thing. Here's my point. It is the most popular Christmas song in the UK. For decades, the most popular Christmas song in the UK. This song about broken dreams, abandoned hopes, misery and despair. Why is that the most popular Christmas song in the UK? You know why? Because it captures a reality people feel and experience. It resonates with our own broken dreams, 
our own abandoned hopes, our own misery and despair. Maybe you can relate to that right now yourself. That's where we're left without Christ, our prophet. That's where we're left without ultimately having sure, certain truth from outside of you. We're left without ultimate meaning. We're left without ultimate hope. We're left without God. The response, the response for this certainty, the response for this assurance and this hope you can have today is what God the Father said when Jesus was transfigured. You recall, he said, this is my beloved son. God come in the flesh. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's the application today. Listen to him. Listen to Christ, your prophet, revealing God for you. It's like putting on corrective lenses. Don't you find that God gets blurry for you sometimes? Your vision, perception of who God is gets fuzzy. Looking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, your prophet, is like putting on corrective lenses to see God clearly again. For instance, maybe you think of God, or you're starting to think of him in ways like He's an unjust tyrant. You see the suffering around you in this world, or maybe the suffering done to you, and you conclude he's not fair, he's not just. But is that really true? I mean, just look at his holy rage, driving out the money changers. And you see God in his holy justice, who hates evil, Or maybe you think God is distant, uncaring, or could never love you. But is that true? Look to Jesus, your prophet. Listen to him as he's moved with compassion for the hurting. See him with pity, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, even raising the dead, and you behold the most merciful person ever to live. And you behold what God is really like. Or maybe you think your sin has disqualified you from God's love and God's care. You think your sin is too great for him to deal with. You think that you must earn or merit salvation or work really hard to retain God's favor as we often can think. But is that really true? Look to Jesus. Listen to him. Look to him hanging out with sinners like us, welcoming them with open arms, pronouncing sins forgiven for those who have faith in him. Listen to him, friends, hanging from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And behold God's mercy. Behold God's grace. Behold God's freely given forgiveness for all who trust in Christ. Listen to Christ, your prophet, revealing 
God for you. And listen to Christ, our prophet, speaking God's word to you. See him revealing God with certainty and clarity and and hear him speaking God's sure, certain word to you as well. There are a number of ways I was going to go with this, but I was thinking this morning about those who have arrived doubting, and that's common. That's a pretty common experience, and it's okay. If you're struggling with doubt this morning, you're in the right place. Keep coming. I'm with you, all right? Not, I'm doing fine. (laughs) But we, we all can identify with doubts is what I'm trying to say. I I love John Bunyan's picture of this. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he imagines the main character, Christian, at one point getting locked up in Doubting Castle and facing giant despair. I wonder if that's you today. You feel like your soul is locked into Doubting Castle And you wake up facing giant despair. Oh, friend, hear Christ, your prophet, speaking God's true, infallible word to you. There was a season in my life when I thought I might be losing my sanity. My struggle with doubt was so acute so severe, and I did a couple of things at least. I talked to my pastor, who helped me, but I spent every morning just reading the Gospels. I felt like all I could do was just look at Jesus in the Gospels and just again and again see Jesus. And you know what happened? Faith began to rise again. Peace began to fill me again. The door out of Doubting Castle was opened. And giant despair was banished. Maybe that's you today. You just need to see Jesus every day and believe what he says, listening to him. Listen to him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believe that. Christ, your prophet, says he is the way, the truth, the truth, and the life, the way you can truly know God. Listen to him and rejoice. Christ, your prophet, says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom For many, a payment price for our sins. Christ, our prophet, says he provided a payment for the sins of all who believe. Listen to him. Believe. He came to pronounce an end to sin, death, and hell. Believe what he says. Listen and rejoice.
And so beat this good news, friends, into your ears once again. Let's pray together. And I don't know for you where maybe God has gotten fuzzy or blurry or where doubts are looming large like giant despair. But you can bring that to God even now in the silence of your own heart. Or maybe, maybe he's calling you to trust in his sacrifice for your sins for the first time. You can do so even now. You can just pray in the silence of your heart, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying and rising for my sins. Please. Come into my life and save me. The sincere, the sincere sinner like me, the sincere sinner, he will never drive away. Oh Lord, we thank you as we marvel through this window, this lens of this office you fulfill for us. Help us to listen to you. Help us to submit to your word. Help us to trust you right now for sure assurance and certainty and hope. We thank you, the one born at Christmas fully God, and fully man. Help us to listen, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.